For the last 20 years, I've had this thing in the back of my mind. And I've talked about it. I've written about it. It'll never be a book because I can't write. But I just believe that every Christian is supposed to have a holy, eternal, biblical impact on every person God has brought into their world. Now, some of you are sitting there right now going, well, that's for those other people. No, this is for you. If you want to grow spiritually, then the bottom line is it can't all be about you. I love y'all. And I appreciate y'all when you go out and say, boy, that was a good sermon. So what? How are you going to take that that you learned? And I appreciate you saying, don't go, it makes me feel good, you know. And we all need that. You know what I'm saying? There's a little, you know, good boy. But in all seriousness, folks, the church of Jesus Christ right now is not about discipleship. We talk a lot about it, but we don't do it. We keep waiting for somebody to start a class. Folks, discipleship is not a class. Okay? You know, 10 easy lessons to be a disciple. No, there's no such thing. That's not real. Okay? Discipleship is a mindset. Discipleship is, I wake up and I start thinking about and praying over people that day that I'm going to see and I'm going to interact with and I'm going to meet with. And they may be jerks. Understand, the bigger the jerk, the closer they are to Jesus. Because they're miserable. And they know they need something more. They just don't know what that more is. Okay, I understand that. I got jerks in my life. You know, my wife has a jerk in her home. So, you know, it's just, you know, that's, that's just part of life. Basically, about 20 years ago, God laid this on my heart. And I'm going to be honest with you. You people might want to fire me now. Because there's a lot of people that want to fire me now. But the, I'm going to talk about this for the rest of my life. And I'm going to change any church that will allow me to pastor or lead them. I'm going to change the mindset. I'm going to change what we're all about. Okay? Because what has happened is, is the when the Church of Nazarene started, it was one fireball, awesome force of holiness that was, man, it was, it was wreaking havoc on this crazy world. It was awesome. But then we became middle class and we got organized. You know, then we were looking for people that were just like us that had some deep pockets that could pay our bills. And now we do anything we have to to make sure we keep them because we got to pay for them things we bought. And honestly, guys, that's just not what I'm all about. That's why I'm seen as a crazy man. But the bottom line is, that's not what I'm about. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, if you want to go there, 
This, is, this will be our focus. This will be the theme for the rest of my life. And I don't mean to scare you, but I mean to scare you. Right there in the middle of the creation story, God says, here's your job. Here's your call. Here's your task. I'm placing you in the middle of this garden and it's your job to cultivate it. It's your job to make it beautiful. It's your call. No matter where your garden might be and no matter what might have happened to your garden. Because I'm talking about your world. And some of us look at our world and go, you want me to what? Have you lost your mind? You expect me to cultivate that? And understand, I understand. I do. Because my world is a sinful world too. My world is a sinfully racked world too. My family is a sinfully racked family too. Every one of us are right in the middle of this. But our call as Christians is not to go to church, eat a donut, and go home. I don't see that in the Bible at all. Our call is to cultivate holiness and cultivate God's love (coughs) and cultivate God's salvation and cultivate God's glory. Stanley, back in the prayer room, in that big desk where I am, on the top right, somewhere in there is a bunch of cough drops. Would you get me one? Thank you so much. I forgot to bring them today. I've got them. I've got them. Stanley. <coughs> Thank you, baby. I'm sorry. But folks, are you hearing me? Every person, listen to me now. Don't get mad at me, just listen. Every person in your world is your eternal, holy, loving, healing responsibility. Everyone. And you're going to say, that's an impossible task. Yes. Because you weren't ever meant to do it without God. You don't have the wisdom to do that. You don't have the ability to do that. You don't, I don't care how gifting, gifted or smart or whatever. You don't have the ability to do that. Okay? But you were made to reproduce. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. You were, made, you were created and you were saved to reproduce the image of God in yourself by the grace of God. And what we so often miss, are you with me? What we so often miss is in verse 28, we take that that God has created us in and recreated us in, His image, And our job is to multiply that or reproduce that or restore that in every person's life God brings into our world. 
Brian's got this look on his face like, this man has lost his stinking, ever-loving mind. And I get it. I do. I do. I understand that. Any preacher can stand up here and say whatever he wants. But let me tell you something. When you start to, you get up in the morning and you start praying and you go out and you're going to reproduce the image of God in everybody's life in your world, man, you run into a brick wall. Amen? And I can, you can count on that. You will run into a brick wall. And the bottom line is, the brick wall is just there. And it's reality. But I want to remind you who you were created to be and how you were created to live. In verse 26, it says, look at it now, look at it. Genesis 1.26 says that we were created, not born, but created. Are you listening? In the holy image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the hour is. There's arguments about what the hour is. And, And if they disagree with that, they have a right to be wrong, but they're wrong here. We are created. Now, I don't have time right now. We'll get back into it sometime. What that means and what that looks like to be be in the image of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's awesome, powerful balance and miraculous glory in all of that. Amen? Are you with me? This is, it's awesome. You, and I want you to think about this. I want you to get up in the morning and, and look at the mirror. And after you say, oh, perfection. You, you say, I was created to live and love and lead and lift in the almighty image of God. Amen? Amen? I mean, this is powerful stuff. You know, see, lots of times we we don't focus too much on the first two chapters of the Bible, but without that, you don't really understand what salvation is all about. You kind of miss what salvation is supposed to accomplish in your life and sanctification is supposed to accomplish in your life. You kind of miss out on that, you know. Well, I'm going to heaven. I got fire insurance, so I'm good. That's really not what it's all about, okay? It's about God doing this great work of transformation in my life. And it's so good and it's so wonderful and it's so powerful. I I just have this passion to take that to my neighbors and my friends and my enemies and everybody around me, amen? It's just something... And I'm going to say this to you. Please don't be mad at me. But if that transformation work has not happened in your life, and if you really don't have that passion, then I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, and, and I know this is mean, and I know people get upset when I do this, but I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves, am I really saved Am I really born again? I go to church. I don't kick the dog, but a couple times a week. But am I really saved? And I, and I do wonder if that passion, I don't mean a passion like Pastor Jay. You know, he just walk up to the devil himself and try to get him saved. You know, it's, it's, you know, I'm not talking about that. Not everybody's like that. But if there's no passion, if there's no desire, to see that brought into the lives and minds and hearts of others. Is it a fair question? Am I really there? Did that really happen in my life? I don't know. But then later on in in, in verse 26 and 28, 
it says something that we need to understand. I say it all the time. I said it a lot. And I don't know whether people hear it. And that's okay. But you were created to rule and subdue. You see, no person, no thing, no government, no organization, no one or nothing should rule in your mind and heart and life but Jesus Christ himself. See, that's a hard one. Because we have a world and a church of excuses. Well, you know, you don't understand this person. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand, you know, who they are. You don't, you know. No, I don't understand. But I can promise you that turkey in your life is no worse than the turkeys that killed Jesus. And now, because he's dealt with that and won, now he can come to your aid, your mind, your heart, your soul, your faith, your tenacity. And he can help you rule and subdue that situation just like he did. That's hard. It's hard to envision sometimes. And I, I get that. And I understand that. But when Jesus Christ, at the very beginning, right after he says we're created in his image, says we are created to rule and subdue, Here's what I think. We were created to rule and subdue. Well, you don't understand my emotions. We were created to rule and subdue. Well, you don't understand my spouse. We were created to rule and subdue. You don't know the scars from my past. We were created to rule and subdue. And I honestly believe that by the power and blood of the cross and his death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought to us through the power of God's, the person of God's Holy Spirit, I honestly believe he can give you, no matter what the situation or person might be, he, will give, he can give you the ability to rule and subdue. See, Christians, we got to get back there. Because if we're as wimpy as everybody else, why in the world would they want our Jesus? What's the difference? If we're taken under by every little thing that comes into our world, what's the difference? You know? And second, in the image of God, we were created to, to be fruitful and multiply in and through the image of God. You see, we don't get people saved so they come to church and tithe. Although that's nice. You know, that, that's okay. You know, especially, you know, I'm just kidding. My job is to take the image that God has restored and is restoring me in. And invest that in everybody's life in my world. Do yeah. you know the amount of love and patience 
that God has had to invest in me because I am one big, fat, hard-headed jerk. You, you don't have to say that, amen, but, you know, a lot of you didn't because you're sitting there going, yeah, I can relate. Um, but in all seriousness, man, his patience, his grace, his love. I mean, I've, I've done things and dealt with things and said things and, oh, my stinking goodness. I don't deserve his salvation. I don't deserve his restoration. I don't deserve his anything. But you see, his love and his task is just like mine. He created me in his image. I messed it all up. But then he did everything necessary to recreate me in that image. Hallelujah. 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 In 2-7 of Genesis, it says we are, he breathed into us and we became a living psyche or soul in his image. Folks, that is a powerful, powerful, powerful understanding. Because it is your psyche. And I don't have time to get into it and really don't understand it all myself. But the bottom line is, it is your psyche that makes up who you are. It is your psyche that, be, that makes up how you think. It is your psyche that makes you into the person, the man or woman that you are. Here's the cool part. That same breath that he breathed into that piece of dirt called you and me, that same breath, which is the person of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Are you listening? He can breathe into you today. And he can restore that soul and that psyche and that mind and that heart and those emotions. And he can recreate you and recreate you into the man or woman he created you to be in the first place. Amen. Amen. Now, understand. There's another part, but we're not going to go there this morning. I understand Genesis 3. If you want to turn to Genesis 3, we're not going to read it. But especially the first six verses. And Adam and Eve, they really had a cool thing going. They really did. They had a, you know, they walk with God hand in hand in the cool of the day. This, I have a feeling God's a lot bigger than me. You know? And, and they, they had this one-to-one relationship. They, they had no fear of him. You know, they wanted to be with him. It was awesome. They loved on each other. They were one with each other. Um, it, w- it was just beautiful the way God put it all together. And they lived in that harmony and, and they lived in that garden. And, and man, they could, they could eat from everything in that garden. But one stinking thing. I'm, I'm always amazed by it, aren't you? I mean, today, it, it's, it, being diabetic, it's like I can't eat nothing. <laughs> I'd do anyway to have my wife would yell at me. But the, the bottom line is, I mean, back then, one thing, one fruit. 
today? You know, but it was like a wet paint sign. Got to touch it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why. We just got to touch it. And in Genesis 3, here comes the intruder. And the intruder does something that the ramifications are so broad. Uh, has a lot to do with um, isolation. Has a lot to do with the anxiety. Has a lot to do with um, all the things that are going on in our psyches. And we're going to deal with those. Because if we don't deal with those things biblically, then we can't leave this place and go cultivate those people around us if we don't know how to deal with it ourselves. Okay? But here he comes. And he just says, did God really say that? He didn't say, here, let me ruin your life and the whole stinking world that comes after you. No. He just said, did God really say that? And here's the part. I want to smack them upside the head. They knew. They understood. They understood all of this. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do and what they were not supposed to do. They told him. But he was able to keep nutching. Did he ever nutch you? He comes at you from this angle. He comes at you from that angle. He, he makes you question this and he makes you question that. And, and if that doesn't work, he just comes over here and, and does it there. And he's not all-knowing. But man, he's got a supercomputer. And he somehow remembers those areas that I have a tendency to slip up and fail in. Did you ever notice that? He, he ain't dumb. And here's the thing you have to understand about the intruder. He never stops. I keep waiting for him to take a day off. Have a stinking sabbatical. You know? Take some time for yourself, brother. You know? But it just doesn't happen. He never quits. We need to understand that. That's why it's going to be so good to get to heaven. Because that's going to be the only time and place that he's not going to be able to get to us. Amen? Amen? So very important to understand that. And the intruder kept nutching, and the intruder kept nutching. And the one thing I, may, I wanted to make sure I told you, he has the right to lie to us as much as he wants to. I mean, there are times God goes, nah. But most, 99% of the time, and we need to understand that. When he says this thing, or this person, or this experience, or this pot of money, is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. You need to look at him and say, you're lying. You're a liar. You've been a liar from the beginning. You're the author of all lies. Stop. But they didn't. And they knew what to do. 
And so they took their eyes off of God and placed them on this one fruit. That ticks me off. I'm going to be honest. One thing they weren't out to eat. Now there's a hundred million. You know? Depending on what diet you're on. And the bottom line is they, they looked at that. And folks, you need to get a grip on that piece. That's where things get all messed up. We take our eyes off God. And we put it on the forbidden. Or we take our eyes off God and we put it on this fantasy thing that Satan absolutely loves to do his great work in. You know, if, if I do this, I'm going to grow hair. <laughs> Somebody say amen. But the bottom line is, none of it's true. None of it's true. So they took their eyes on, I call it the death stare. That's verse 6 in chapter 2. And they decided to partake of that forbidden fruit. All of a sudden, it all broke loose. All of a sudden, instead of walking with God head in head, excited to see him, they were hiding in the bushes. In fear. Isn't that one of the great things today? Wasn't that the thing over COVID that really got us all messed up? You know? And COVID was like sin itself. Because COVID then, what did it, well, you got to stay away from everybody. Got to isolate. You know? And sin does that to us. I got to isolate. I will never forget when I was in the heart and throes of depression. I didn't want to really be with anybody. The only thing was, I was the pastor, so I had to. That was hard. That was hard. Then, instead of taking personal, and I want you to think about your life for this. Instead of taking any personal responsibility for what had happened, what'd they do? They started blaming each other. It's that woman you gave me. I've done that. All the men are like, I ain't looking at her. <laughs> She'll take me out back and do what my mom should have done a long time ago. You know, I understand that. No, and, and, you know, then they, they went to flip Wilson route. The devil made me do it. You know, I don't blame him either. It was you and sin and destruction and debauchery in so many ways entered our world. And folks, we are going to attack that. So you know how to attack that as you're cultivating those in your world. Okay? We're going to do this every Sunday. In the middle of all that, back in Genesis 2.15, God said, listen, your call, no matter how messed up this place gets. Are you listening to me, Christian? No matter how messed up your world gets, 
And man, I look around, don't you? There really isn't an area of my world that has not been twisted and destroyed by sin. Amen? We call it a lot of things, but it's all sin. Okay? Here's the cool part. God never calls us to anything that he doesn't give us the ability to do no matter how impossible it seems. I think about that 80-year-old Moses. A man, he, I guess he had some teeth, but you know, he's sitting there gumming himself to death. And, and God walks up to him. That was, that was ugly, wasn't it? Huh? God walks up to him and says, yeah, I want you to go back to the place that you're wanted for murder. And I want you to deliver, set free, two million slaves who are your kinfolk. Even Moses, my man Moses looked at him and said, you have lost your mind. They want to kill me. And how in the world am I going to go over there to that mean Pharaoh? Man's crazy. Man's powerful. Man could have me killed. How in the world am I going to be the person who is the linchpin to seeing two million of my family set free from slavery? Come on up, guys. I think of my man Gideon. And Gideon, an angel comes by Gideon, God comes by Gideon, we're not really sure. And says to him, hey, you valiant warrior. Now understand, he's there beating out some wheat because the Amalekites and the, all the mites have been coming down from the north and have been whooping on them for seven years. Taking all their food, taking all their stuff, taking all the, you know. And here comes God and says to him, oh, valiant warrior. Once again, Gideon looks at God and says, have you lost your mind? No, seriously, you know what I'm saying. And God goes through various machinations and, and kind of shows Gideon that, yes, this is your call. And yes, it looks impossible. But what I want you to do is I want you to gather a big army to go up against this group. Then God looks at him and says, you gathered too many. Gideon had to be saying, what? Too many? I got 30,000. They got 150,000. I ain't seeing too many. You know? Gideon still saw this as an impossible task. In the end, Gideon ended up with 300. And Gideon, by being obedient to God, put a whooping on them 
and set them aflight and whoop them good. God is calling you to eternally in love, in healing, in salvation, in holiness to impact every person in your world. It looks crazy. It looks impossible. But it looked crazy and impossible for Moses and Gideon. Probably even more crazy than you leaving this place and eternally impacting those people in your world. But folks, there comes a moment when you need to make a decision. I'm going to be that man. I'm going to be that woman. I'm not going to talk about this stuff anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to talk about being a transformative entity in my world or force in my world anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm going to allow God to change my mind and change my heart that nothing else really matters. Oh, but that's not the way I was brought up. That's not the way any of us were brought up. And we definitely didn't get it in church. Folks, this is a good day to just decide. Every person in my world needs a good dose of Jesus. And I'm just the man or woman to do it. I'm going to allow God to so transform me, save me, sanctify me, fill me with his spirit that everywhere I go, what spills out of me and what radiates out of me is Jesus. Jesus. And you can can count on it. Satan's going to bring people tomorrow morning that are just going to tick you off. And you're going to say, man, I don't even feel like doing this. But you need to understand something. Your life, when you're in Christ, is no longer about you. Your life, when you're in Christ, is about Him. And your life, when you're in Him, is about taking His love and His grace and His healing And his salvation. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes years. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot of prayer and fasting. In fact, don't do it until you pray through over a person. Are you with me? This is a good day to make that decision. This is a good day to examine your life and go... Has that really happened in my life? Am I really there? And this is a good day to make sure you are. Let's all stand. I'm opening these altars, these front seats up. And I just wonder if there'd be anybody to say, you know what, Pastor? I'm that man, I'm that woman. You online, 
This is for you too. This is a good day for you to say, you know what? I am going to be that man. I am going, by the grace of God, I am going to be that woman. I'm going to be that one that so carries the love and grace and glory and power and holiness of Jesus Christ that my life and the life of everyone in my world will never be the same again. Amen? You're welcome at these altars. They're going to sing and then we'll pray.